0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm here again with Bill Crawford. We're going to talk uh, about the geopolitical situation once again in uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, particularly inside Ukraine. And Bill adds a very unique perspective that I clearly don't have, and that's on the effectiveness or lack thereof of the Russian air campaign. At the very beginning, now and in the in the future. So Bill let's just start with your assessment of of how they did in the first phase of their operation which is you know I think primarily I mean what what the russians will say is it was always a feint it was always a distraction but anybody with any intelligence who has any military experience and looks at where the russians shifted that combat or or placed that combat power in the very beginning and where their main effort was, it was clearly, uh, Kiev. Mm -hmm. What's your assessment of, of, you know, how the Russians did in the first few days of that operation and suppressing Ukrainian air defenses. And so like your assessment, um, what could they have done better? What surprised you? I
1: feel like, that's that's a lot to bite off, first of all, but I just think um when it, before before hostilities started, I, I probably felt like most of the you know outsiders looking in going, man, this is not gonna go well for the Ukrainians. And uh it, it's going to be a fairly quick conflict um resulting in uh, domination by the Russians of the Ukrainian defenses. And, uh, and I think I was, I was stunned. And I think most people were stunned at, at the way it unfolded. And, and, and if you think about what's going on on the ground right now, I think it's a result of Russia's failure to execute a good strategy in the air, because the, I mean. What you would expect in a typical modern um, fighting scenario, and th- this was all developed by a guy named John Warden in 1990-91 uh, during the Iraq conflict, where they realized if we can fly past all of the, um, those lines of defense on the ground and take out our enemy's ability to communicate and coordinate their af- efforts, then we win. And so if you think about a typical strategy, you would come in with um, radar jamming um, capabilities to take out their eyes, and then you would destroy their um, headquarters and any of their air defense sites. And you'd make it so that you just deny them the ability to operate in the air, which would include uh, taking out their runways, right? And it's, it's a little puzzling that if you think about it for a second, I, I, the way I understand it, Ukraine still has the ability to launch airplanes. How is that possible? You know, we were four or five weeks into the conflict, and none of the things I described have been done. And, and I so so it's a little bit weird. I can't really assess what Russia did because I I'm not I'm not uh, fully informed on what they did, but I can tell you what they didn't do, and, and mm-hmm. it was anything that makes sense, right? So I I think they they flew in and probably probably now that I think about it, and this is just me brainstorming right now, it wouldn't surprise me if the way that their Air Force tactics and strategies are organized are around supporting the ground effort. And um, because that's how America used to do it, right? Hey, look, Mm -hmm. Army's in charge, Air Force do what we say, this is what we need, we want you to be. And uh, that just doesn't work. And and so um, Russia left Ukraine with the ability to well, operate. Let in me the air. let
2: me let
0: me step in really quickly. Yeah, so yeah sure. I, I got give the army's perspective. So, <laughs> and, and you could you can tell me because I'm I I am ignorant on how the air force is organized, uh-huh. but from the outside looking in, it seems to me that there is a strategic arm of the air force and there's a mm-hmm. tactical arm. When it comes to the tactical arm the Army should absolutely be in charge. When it comes to the strategic arm, the Army should absolutely have like no, you know. I didn't mean to have,
1: hurt your feelings.
0: No, no, you didn't hurt my feelings. You didn't hurt my feelings. I, but, I, but there's probably some Army guy in like Alabama like, oh, we're going, we're going to listen to that BS. Oh, my God. Right. So I got yeah, well, I, 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 I to address that. Yeah. It's not BS, by the way.
1: Um, no, I would, so I, the way I would say that is that the Air Force used to organize that way, actually. And this is when, I mean, we're talking 30 years ago. Uh, which way, which strateg- way, which there was which a strategic way? air command and tactical air command okay okay right but um in in the in 1991 gulf war those lines got completely blurred because you had fighter fighter attack aircraft you know attacking strategic targets you had that's when the stealth fighter made its debut with its precision weapons f111s were dropping guided weapons f stands for fighter but they're basically a light bomber, you know, it was like the right. the lines were blurred, and so the Air Force reorganized, and they they created um, a structure called Air Combat Command. And so they still had, they still do have like their strategic, but that's like more of the ballistic missile arm, right? Oh, okay. So, yeah. and, and but the the and I don't even know if ballistic missiles were included in Air Combat Command. And forgive me, you know, Air Force friends who see this. Um but, but you'll
0: have some guy but, at like you know in, in, in Missouri who's who's pissed off now. So we both we both we both made
1: somebody angry. Well probably in Nebraska for me, right? It's where our where uh, strategic command stratcom is, right? So right. the the um they made it more clear, like we're gonna go in to a conflict. It's it's about it's almost like it's about the job we're trying to do rather than the category of strategic versus tactical.
0: Okay, that's and that's smart. Like that's the way it should be, right? It's mission oriented. Just like yeah. like on the ground we have mission oriented which we stole from the Germans by the way. Don't let don't let anybody confuse you that uh oh. Aufstrag, from World War II. But mission oriented well,
1: tactics. This, this is just smart for 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 any if you want to say aggressor coming into a country you need to um, basically disconnect the ability of the the upper leadership to coordinate the efforts of anyone in the field. Mm -hmm. And then you need to um, take out the eyes of the people in the field so they can't fight back. And now all of a sudden it's like, what what else is there to do? And in a typical um, U.S.-led coalition effort, that's what you see now. And so the ground forces, and I know you, you mentioned earlier, we have people on the ground, but they're clandestine, right? They're, they're, they're very few in number, and they're doing very specific things to prepare the battlefield. And then you have the, your, your, your mass troops who are going to come in. They almost always come in after the enemy has no longer the ability to c- communicate with any senior leadership or coordinate their efforts on the ground. And almost always they can't even see you coming right until it's too late. And, and that's so, when that's when
0: the Air Force starts to take more of a tactical role. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're not you're not dividing, it's more of a phased and mm-hmm. you know, granted, it's mission dictated, but it's a phased approach. Strategic, right. you take up the big stuff mm-hmm. and then you just work your way down so the effects are lower, you know, smaller and yep. smaller. But to the guy on the ground, seeing that A ten come in and eviscerate right. a column of tanks is hugely impactful, but oh, yeah.
1: okay, so yeah, so How it's so the Army and the air right?
0: Force oh sorry, go ahead
1: oh, no, I was going to say, so you, you, you don't see any of that in right. this current current conflict, and it, so it leaves you wondering like well what were they doing and and I think actually, I mean this is just a guess, but it could be that they just basically planned the thing backwards, <laughs> thinking that air, air 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 which is weird, right, because if they read these are open source things you you can okay. read. Uh, U.S. Air Force tactics and strategic writing um, for the last 30 years, and with about – you could read a 10-page pamphlet and you'd know how to fight that war, uh, but the Russians don't seem to have done that.
2: What's your theory on um, – and again, this is this is outside of both our
0: expertise, right? So just the audience will understand that this is all spe- – <laughs> this part is speculation yeah, and informed judgment. Why, like, why didn't they? But and again, let me. And I want to frame this not from like we're not trying to insult the Russian mindset. We're actually trying to understand why. I could tell you. I can tell you, like, off the top of my head, if I really, really think through this. So one thing you said that resonated was they didn't destroy. The airfields, okay. Mm -hmm. At Hostomel, I can understand why Hostomel is that just north of uh, Kiev, where there was a a a big um, you know airfield for the Ukrainians. And the reason they didn't bomb that one is pretty clear, right? That that they wanted to get the VDV paratroopers in there, and then that was going to be their resupply that would support Uh the operation in Ukraine. However. To your point, to your other point, they didn't destroy communications, and I'm still scratching my head as to maybe they didn't know how. I mean, the only the best answer I can come up with is they just didn't or have not invested in the resources to to have that capability. But again, I am completely ignorant on Russian um, you know technology you know technology related to their air. Their air services or air force to
2: understand I a, that.
1: I saw an analyst. He's actually an auditor. He's an auditor for the U.S. military, and it's an interesting perspective, right? Because you're like, well, this guy's more of a an accountant type than a warrior. Well, I see. I mean, if he's asking where all the
0: money went in the investment, that he's a great guy to be looking at this because the group well, exactly. made this investment,
1: right? And so, well, it's not just that, but it's he noticed that when you find an organization that is. Corrupt at the top it's it's corrupt all the way through it's like so so the tools of cooperation used to manage the Russian military and supply chain are all power tools, uh, which means coercion, threats, you know fear, and intimidation. And when you have a military force that that's how they manage it um and then you also loop in corruption um they weren't able to use their own secure communications so the russians are using cell phones to talk to each other and ukrainians have the ability to drop in on those cell phone calls pinpoint where their leaders are and take them out
0: bill, like bill we can drop up like if you get on a ham radio you can you can listen to russian <laughs> I mean, i'm dead serious there like yeah. there there's a new york times article where someone is like dropped in on a, on a conversation and was literally, literally whistling Dixie.
1: (laughs) So, so think about it for a second though. If you've got, um, a corrupt organization from the top down, um, and people taking what's in it for them, you're going to find equipment that's not prepared or maintained properly. You're going to find supplies that that the books say are there, but they're not and capabilities. And by the way, think about the failure of Russian intelligence. So I don't bomb the runways because I believe I'm I'm the head of, you know, I'm making these decisions. I believe that from what my intel people are telling me, which are lies, that the people on the ground are going to capitulate quickly and that that there's no real need to come in with a significant um, capability here because we're better than them. Right. And, and so the whole, their whole strategy was built on a set of theories that were based on false or misleading information, bad equipment, um, and, uh, and, and the wrong uh, way to manage your organization uh, where the command and control is very autocratic rather than um, allowing people to, to understand the objective and act for themselves. It's just, it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, if we had invaded, or say not we, I don't want to forgive me. If um, if a hospital, if, if, if you were in control,
0: if you were in control, I'm making the question a little bit harder for you, but right. but it, it'll be a fair a fairer question. If you were in control of the Russian air force,
2: mm-hmm.
0: how would you do it? So you don't have access to kind of all the U.S. capabilities, but how would you have done it?
1: Well, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question because I don't know what Russia's capabilities are, right? But I would say I would set some objectives for myself. One, um, I would eliminate the Ukrainian leadership ability to coordinate and direct efforts on the ground. That would mean jamming communications and destroying communications Um, and enemy air defenses. Right. Mm -hmm. So those would be my two prime objectives. And until those were accomplished, I don't even know if I'd roll a tank over the line.
0: Well, and that's the other thing, too, as as like American ground like veterans or like Army and Marine Corps veterans are watching this thing. A lot of them are actually going over there because they're like, wow. I mean, the Russians are like weaker than we thought. What they don't quite grasp is that we're we've all been spoiled in two primary areas, right? The first area is we never need to look up. Right. Right. Like, and that cannot be underestimated. Even the Ukrainians still have to look up. Mm-hmm. And number two, we never had logistical issues, right? right. Like we had all the, like we, the U S military has solved that, that problem. Yeah right it's it's, it's, it's traditionally like, you hey
1: guys win the war right it, it's like you're out fighting but without without all the stuff you need out in the field you're not going to do it yeah
2: so 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 that said like just
0: some of the mistakes that i that i saw are mind-boggling and i'm still trying to understand how they happen so the like the vdv which is their the 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 Russian version of the 82nd airborne although I probably mm-hmm. just insulted everyone in the 82nd airborne by by saying that like they're Sorry, not equivalent. Guys. Yeah, they're they're not equivalent at all, right? Uh, Roman Skasky who's been on this show who's an 82nd airborne veteran, he would say that the VDV is, you know, more of a an arm of the state for intimidation as opposed to um like an 82nd airborne equivalent designed to seize airfields, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of light airborne infantry sort of stuff. But the the kind of mistakes that, that we've seen is that you have troops on Aleutian 76 trans- transport aircraft shot down before they even get to the objective. So, like, before Bucha, like, my, like I actually felt sorry for those guys. Like, they didn't even get to fight. They didn't even have a chance. They were shot. Now after Bucha, it's like, good. Um, but uh like they like how how why would you fly an aircraft filled with like we're not even talking about like moving tanks across the border we're talking right. about flying highly vulnerable troops over a target objective and still not having control over taking out these air defense systems now is there any reason why the russians just would have thought that maybe they took out the air defense systems but they didn't like like help you me know, understand that because cause I, I can't, they can't be that
1: incompetent. They can't be that incompetent.
0: There has to be a reason.
1: I don't know. I, my feeling is my gut reaction is if you're the, if you're the intelligence officer on the ground and, you know, Vladimir Putin says, Hey, do, do we have any threats down there? Well, like what's going to happen if I say yes, you know, what what's going to happen, and, and and so that's one. I mean, I just can't imagine that the level of incompetence is that high, right? And so I, I think that it has to do with their uh, reluctance to share the truth with people above them.
2: But Bill, like, even if you knew,
0: and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not. I'm not yeah. being intentionally hostile. If you're on the ground and you knew. 30 men would die if you didn't tell the truth. Um, but your life might be forfeit. Like you might, like there. there's a chance, but there's a hundred percent chance or an extremely high chance that 30 men would die before they had a chance to do anything. Wouldn't you tell the truth? Well, I don't know if they
1: knew. Like, it's like, hey, look, I there yeah, might be fair. an anti-aircraft battery out there. There might not. Uh, how do we know? Um, I don't think their intelligence gathering capability is very good. Mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't think that they have. And and I think it all comes back to their, uh, I think they've been lying about their capabilities for 20 years. And, 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 And
0: by the way, like it's the most effective propaganda campaign I've ever seen. So like before this invasion, I would have told you that Russia Had the best human intelligence capability in the world, probably better than our own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, They certainly, they certainly probably still have the best influence operations, right? Well, no, actually, they don't know. After this, after this, they're not influencing anybody. But in the US, like if Putin had just stuck to turning Americans against each other, he would win in 10 years. But he, he, but he decided to expose like the rot that's inherent in the Russian system by rolling those rotten tanks across the border. Yeah. So like before this, I mean, Bill, as you know, I used to fight using Russian doctrine and tactics to train the U S military. The one, like one of the things that has made me feel um, like I've done something noble in my life is that I showed and prepared the U S military, like the entire U S military, to face a Russian enemy who is far more competent than the actual Russian enemy. Like what we mm-hmm. face so far is the worst they're ever gonna see. Full stop. Yeah. Full stop. So if we actually have to get into combat with them, we will wipe the floor with them.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. They're just now now here's here's the downside, not the downside, it's a it's a it's a counterview to that, and that is. But there, and you know this, there's a, the psychology of fighting a war is complicated. Yeah. And the, to keep a highly motivated force fighting is difficult when you're an aggressor entering a country full of people who have nothing to lose because you've already destroyed their city, you've killed their children, you've driven off their families, and, and they're back fighting. Right. They have everything to fight for, and you have nothing to fight for and um If we were to uh turn the tables on this same Russian military and a hostile force invaded Russia, I think you'd see a very different outcome because the then their motivation changes, their mindset changes, and their resourcefulness goes up so right now, I think you're taking you're seeing the ability of Ukraine to take advantage of Lack of initiative, lack of resourcefulness, and uh, lack of motivation, all of which mm-hmm. are plaguing the Russian military other than you know the few um purely evil people uh, and i think I think you you see evidence that there are way more of those than you would suspect and their willingness to do things um, that just seem so unimaginable mm-hmm. to uh to individuals to families to cities you know like what what kind of, what kind of monster, is is willing to do those kinds of things, and that that that's scary because I, I don't know how many there are. I think that there's, lots and lots and lots of great decent Russian people, including fighting in their military, who don't want to be there, who who like, just find themselves I have no way out. I don't know what else to do.
2: Well, or or UC to be
1: fair, there are some just really horrific people in there too.
0: Yeah, or to, or to be fair, like there's. Um, there are, I kind of don't want to say this, but I have to say this, right? Um, particularly like those who've partaken in the profession of arms have to say these things, um, because it's a, it's a truth that you're not going to see in the media right now. There, there are some Russians who are, you know, who see this as a noble fight, right? Who, you know, see the Ukrainians as their misguided cousins? Like we're going to be yeah. stronger again. I'm. I. I don't believe this. I'll be very clear. I don't believe this. I,
1: no, I think you're right. But that's, that's well. Plus, the propaganda engine there is 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 doing its best to convince people that that's the case, right?
0: Right. And a then, and of, then the like the military. Mis- the military yeah. is the ultimate propaganda engine because you can cut off, um, other information sources. Right. But even then, even then, uh, like, I remember, I remember during the Kosovo situation, I was, I was in a uh, scout platoon leaders uh, course, the scout platoon leaders course. So like just, um, and we were doing like rifle PT and we started singing songs about killing Serbs. And I'm like, I don't have anything against Serbs. Like this is kind of right. surreal. Like, I don't, I, I don't, uh, but like, but I could kind of see through it. I'm like, all right, I get it. Like, we're, we're doing this thing, but like, there's no reason to be, think about this aggressive. We can do this analytically and think about it, right. think through it analytically. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there are, you know, like, like, like all people, right? There are some, there are some Ru- good, good Russians, just like there were some good Germans, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, you know, if you look at a lot of the soldiers who take part in this conflict, they're from like far flung regions throughout throughout russia and its territories Mm -hmm. that don't have any just much like in the u.s military don't have any good job prospects but i mean like but worse right like these guys are really out right in the frontier and they're kind of just brought across the border and they're told to do these things um and then you go into a population where The moment you turn your back on them, they're on a cell phone calling in your grid coordinates, right? And like, look, the Ukrainians are doing that as they should, as they should be. Mm -hmm. But when you're seeing all your friends, again, I'm playing devil's advocate, right? When you're seeing all your friends get killed around you, and you're surrounded by this hostile population that you didn't choose to get in this, in this fight. And in these situations, there's, there's been psychological studies by Schultz and Janowitz, who they did uh, um, research following World War II on, like, why the German soldiers fought. And it wasn't because they were, like, big Nazis or wanted to follow Hitler. They, and it was never really for political reasons. It was the, what, what they found is that they focused on primary groups, right? It was fighting for the guy to your left and to your right. Mm-hmm. And that's why they fought, and that's why these, you know, many of these Russians are fighting. So they're going to do extreme things, like put snipers. Like, you know, I can see an officer saying, "Just like, you know, what? Screw it! Like, we keep getting killed. If anybody crosses y- Yablinska Street, shoot them." And that's that's what you know this Russian sniper did. Now, you know, a good military would or a prof- more professional military would have signs and things like that because there, there are things that like blackwater used to do right so in the event again this is apocryphal i don't know if, i don't know if it's true so take it with a grain of salt but um when they would, would drive through route irish they would have water bottles filled with urine that they would just throw at people who came too close which is you know disgusting and gross but it's not bucha scale massacre right. however what they allegedly might would also do is anytime there was a suicide bombing, if they saw anyone within a hundred,
2: you know, several hundred meters with a cell phone in their hand, they'd shoot them. Right? So, you know,
0: there's kind of that aspect of the war that's a little bit harder to tease out. But then there are clear, there are clear cases of just absolute utter human depravity and these people like if you could crucify them you should and and the example that you know we were talking about a little bit earlier is this um soldier who on on video raped a one-year-old toddler on camera in front of the parents and then murdered the child and you know and that's in the media that that's that's out in the media, apparently it's a video. I did not watch it because I am not a pedophile. Um, but the reports that I've, you know, that I've, that you just read in the media, that's, you know, there was there there was a rape. There was it was on camera, and the child was killed. Like th- those are, those are facts. The soldier was apprehended in Russia after that video went viral. Those those are those are all um, fact, or well, at least reported in the media. So um likely true. Now I have there there's there's kind of a, a continued account that I've heard and I don't want to reveal the source. I don't know if this is true. I've not verified it. But the the continued account is that once this person was apprehended, they were um or he, he, let's be very clear, as a male, he was um you know received some form of non-judicial punishment. Because he recorded everything, not because of what he did, and then was subsequently kind of slapped on the wrist for you know, allegedly given like good job at terrorizing the population, but don't record this stuff, and then sent back to his unit. i don't know I don't know if that portion is true. Uh, you know we'll have to we'll have to figure it out, but uh, I did not receive that in any official source, so take that with a grain of salt. But like those sorts of things um, are just unconscionable and should be punished within Russia. If Russia doesn't punish it, then there is no hope for
1: that country, at least its you power know, structure. You, what you're saying, this last story you told was just horrific. And, and you know, I, I, you're the only person I've heard it from, so I, I pray that it's not true. But
0: I'll send it, you the link. I'll send you the link. It's like in. It's in report. Like like um, yeah. like Daily Mail, um, New York Times. I think New York Times. they definitely reported on this stuff.
1: So when when I was in the mission planning cell, uh, this was for the Iraq conflict. Someone wrote on the board: "Fly with hatred in your heart," and and I thought, "Wow!" Like first of all. I don't know if I can have hatred in my heart for 36 hours in a row, you know, like that's a long time to yeah. try to, but I, I just, I disagreed with that mindset. I, I always felt like love your enemies is a better way to think about But For me, the mindset of if I'm going to go to war with someone, I want to understand them. I want to have empathy, not sympathy. Sympathy, of course, means I I support and encourage and, you know, in no way do I ever sympathize with my enemy, but I want to understand their mindset, their motivations, where they're coming from, because that's going to help me fight better. Um, and then to also recognize that they are humans, that we are all children of God, and that um, that, that armed conflict, as horrible as it is, We cannot descend to the level of depravity that you that you just described, and 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 I think one of the ways to do that is to is to recognize that your enemy is human, that your enemy is um, is in many ways like you, and and then to do the right thing in the right moment, right? Which may still be to take their life. Um, if they are engaged in armed conflict. But to recognize that that doesn't apply to, to a lot of the people in in the battle space and that you've got to be discerning and apply good judgment and restraint. And I think that those, those values are what make um, America, uh, our military and our culture and our country, um, what it is.
2: So the yeah, here it is. Um so the soldier's name, uh, it's actually
0: uh kind of almost ironic. Uh his name is Alexei Bichkov. Mm. Um, let me let me just let me just see. So like I'm not it it sounds so unbelievable because even if you try like even if even if we tried to descend to the level of this this depraved individual i don't think we i don't think we
1: could uh yeah, um, i mean humans are capable of all kinds of bad things when when it becomes normalized right so mm-hmm. uh, what what's what's the what what's your what What do you want your audience to take away from this portion of our of our conversation
2: um How, how the horrors of war can
0: kind of confuse and inflame passions in terms of, you know, kind of influencing populations, right? So, like, you know, for me in particular, this makes me want the U.S. to get involved as soon mm-hmm. as possible to stop the violence. And... Like there is room for emotion in decision making as long as it's tempered by an analytical understanding of what the what the risks are and 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 what what i tend i tend to despite despite what I'm talking about and what I'm choosing to talk about on some of these things and the and the way I'm reacting to it and processing it. I tend to have a very analytical approach to the world. And prior to the conflict, I was, we should not get involved. Um, you know, other than supporting and you know, giving weapons to the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. But the more I see like the like the way the Russians are conducting this campaign, I feel like my emotions are forcing me to reassess my initial analytical understanding. And the reason is, is that the logic I come up with is if they're going to behave in such a depraved fashion here and they succeed here, the next place where they're going to do this is Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia,
2: you know, perhaps Finland now, right? Because they're, and if this, quote unquote,
0: works in terms of terrorizing the population, systematic brutality and things like that, there will be more of it because you get, always get more of something that you perceive as successful. And, and my view from an analytical standpoint is the sooner we get involved and completely and utterly annihilate all russian combat power within ukraine and i would keep it confined to ukraine the sooner this ends and the sooner we stop this continued aggression on you know russia's borders and like we let crimea happen right mm-hmm. we didn't do anything there and what did it get us it got us this yeah now I I fully understand the risks, right? About escalation and things like that. But Putin doesn't care about escalation. He flew two Sukhoi twenty four aircraft over Gotland, which is a uh, you know owned by the Swedish, with nuclear weapons on board. I think it was on March second, or you know March first, March second. Like he's gonna like. Putin's gonna do what Putin's gonna do. I think what we need to do is just deny him the ability to execute operations in Ukraine. Full stop. I don't think I think the Ukrainians have been doing a phenomenal, um, have been having phenomenal success in the north, but the terrain in the south puts them at a disadvantage against Russian firepower. And I'm worried that once they get mariupol um or mariupol which they you know may already be be close to, ha- to having mm-hmm. even if putin loses this thing if he gets to keep all that land he wins right despite how damaging this was and that's what he's trying to do he's he's aiming for that may 9th victory in europe or whatever they call it the great patriotic war um anniversary in you know, Moscow. He ha- he has about you know three to four weeks to de- you know to show and declare some form of victory. And you know, when you have like uh, the like the like a group of marauders that are doing these sorts of things, shooting like tying people up, shooting them in the back. Like it's just like we have. Uh, it's changed my view of this conflict um, fundamentally, and you know, did, did, is it, a, is emotion, a big part of it? Absolutely. I'm absolutely outraged. Um, and I'll be like, well, I don't, I don't like, there was a tiny glimmer in in, in the beginning of me wanting to go over there and do mm-hmm. something about it. Now, like, look, I, I'm again, I have the spoiled mentality of logistics and, and uh, you know, no, like no, not having to worry about air cover and things like that, that, you know if you make that decision you have to tell yourself look if i go over there i'm going over there to die and i wasn't i'm not ready to die yet
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so anyway that's that's that that's that but to your point let's 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 move (laughs) let's let's move on you're always very subtle and i know exactly i know exactly what you're (laughs) trying to communicate but yeah it's it's not uh it's not a very happy happy topic let's talk about another happy
1: topic well i've got so i've got I've got to actually run in just a minute or two here. I've got a meeting coming up in town that I got to get I got to get to. So, one last question for you. Yep, yeah, that sounds great. Um flying nuclear weapons over
2: Gotland like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, is I'm assuming that you've had training because you're a stealth bomber pilot and that 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 was a potentially a payload on the stealth bomber.
1: It's uh, nuclear capable for sure. Okay. Um,
0: is that something that you could even imagine somebody ordering you to do as like a demonstration?
1: Uh, for us, no. no. No one would ever do that. There was an incident after I got out of the Air Force where a um, U.S. bomber flew with nuclear payload from one base to another inside the States by accident like they just didn't know the bombs were on there, right and it was like or or else the pilots knew but thought it was authorized it was a little bit of a situation where these nuclear weapons were not fully under control or accounted for and uh and it was really bad like it was big publicity um all over the news and uh i know some people lost their like some Higher level, like base level, um, leadership lost their jobs over it. Uh, so, so now, I also understand. And this could be wrong, but this is this is my understanding. When when the U.S. developed that it, its um, command and control procedures and uh, resources for our nuclear arsenal, we decided to also share that with the Russians. This is like 60, 70 years ago, whenever it was, because we felt like it would be safer for us to have them implement a sound um, command and control structure that would would eliminate the chance of an inadvertent or rogue nuclear attack. So um, if you put those two things together, uh, one, it, it could have been inadvertent or two uh it was it was uh uh almost insane a uh, demonstration of uh power right in, in a way that you're like I, I haven't heard of this before i don't know why they would do it and i don't i don't know enough about the details to know um to know anything other than that but it, it would be uh this would be considered if you, if the u.s did something like that it would be the highest level of provocation, I think, short of actually
2: dropping something.
1: Yeah. It's it's a pretty serious thing.
2: And I
0: I wouldn't imagine that um, it would be that easy for Russian pilots like that to go rogue. And by the way, Russian pilots are going to be a little bit more intelligent than the average ground pounder. right? So it's not something that they would just... I mean, my personal view is that it came directly from the top to do that.
1: Yeah, well, and like I said, if it did, if if we had done something like that, the United States, um, it would be perceived as, um, I mean, just short of an act of war, right? It's it's a very serious thing. So, well, right. I hope that I hope that our conversation was uh, meaningful for the folks listening, and I'm grateful that you, uh, grateful for your friendship. And grateful that you considered me uh, someone you'd want to talk to here.
0: Yeah, thank you, Bill, for spending your very busy and valuable time with me. And I hope there'll be many more. And at some point, I'll uh, come out and visit t- visit you in your your non-disclosed location, wherever that may be. Um,
1: that sounds great.
0: All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks. If
0: you enjoyed this video,
2: hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.